When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hey, welcome back to UAP, the Unidentified Alien Podcast. We're happy to be here with you. Stephen Dean are right here. Karen Curtis over there for episode 56 the Northern Lights, in quotes, air quotes, Northern Lights, part one. And we'll tell you why that's in air quotes. First off, Karen, how are you? I'm well, thank you so much. Yes, it's good to be back. Another little hiatus there in, in between. We had a little... Uh, Actually, what happened was we had a, a, a hurricane, yeah. a tornado almost hit my house, yeah. and now the weather's much cooler and more fall-like. So a lot has happened. That's the crazy thing about a hurricane is, you know, for us, we live in South Florida. This is where we record the show. If you've never heard us... You know, talk about that before. So, you know, obviously, I'm sure you've seen on the news, international news, when Hurricane Ian came through the state of Florida here. Thankfully for us personally, we're on the East Coast and the West Coast was, you know, most devastatingly affected. Yeah, but Um, we still got stuff. Yes, we did. We got, you know, some pretty nasty weather. So that delayed our schedules a little bit last week. And but we're good. Everybody's good here on our end. So we're just happy to be back now for this new episode 56. The Northern Lights. I can't believe we're up to 56 already. That's crazy. But before we get into why this is called the Northern Lights, let me first ask you, Karen. I know you always have a factoid for us, so what the heck is going on? What'd well, this find? is the one that you actually found. Yeah. Oh, okay. This about one. the uh, the some sort of a UFO showed up on a government logo and then it disappeared. Yeah. I mean, we, what happened? What we, was it? We talked about this, I think, on our previous episode. I think we brought it up where. It was this this government agency, and I forget which one. It was like the National Intelligence or something like that. And they had this logo on their flag with all these different, you know, like a, a, a space shuttle and, you know, a fighter jet and all these different things. And the, over there in the corner, the bottom left-hand corner, was a UFO. I mean, it's a classic-looking UFO. Was it like a shape. saucer? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so it was you know, caught by a lot of enthusiasts like us, and they said, "What the heck is going on? This is on. This is an official government logo, and it has a UFO on it." Well, apparently, they didn't like that. People started to notice, and so now it's gone. I and have to look that up and see which logo it was because now it's going to bug me. <laughs> um. It's it's crazy. So that is gone now. It is no longer on the this this logo. Um, for this government agency that we're talking about. Yeah, it's the U.S. Intelligence Agency logo. So it's just, you know, so nothing you're right. crazy. You're right. U.S. Intelligence, nothing nothing too crazy there. And now it's just... It's like an oxymoron, yeah, but anyway. right. But they, they just, you know, like, yeah, let's get rid of it. No one's going to notice that it was that it was there and that it's gone. You oh, did. Oh, we noticed. I think that's interesting. So, Good for you. Yeah. Makes you wonder why, number one, why was it there? And now they're like, eh, it's getting a little too much attention. And now it's gone. 
So I mean, they've come so far as the Pentagon, and that's why we're doing the podcast, is basically saying, yeah, they exist. So, But they don't want to really tangibly put it on a flag or yeah, a logo. I guess. Maybe they weren't ready to go that far out there yet. But speaking of you know everything that we've, we've done in the past year, Karen, the response to our most previous episodes, and especially the one last week that we did, or last time I should say, has been just, no pun intended, out of this world. Yay! I mean, we... We really can't thank you enough for how much that you've, you've been enjoying this show. It's staggering, mind-boggling to see how much of you have been enjoying the show. So we thank you for that. But all the while, over this past month or so, while making these past few episodes, I kept coming back to something. And it's some of these stories of unexplained sightings up north, okay, like the northern states of the U.S., Canada, things like that. I kept coming across these things, places like Minnesota and, and Canada and just for whatever reason, as I was doing research on the other episodes that we did, I just kept seeing these other stories and I kept pushing off, ah, you know, I'll, I'll look into the next time. And finally got to the point where I said, you know what? I got to find out what these things are about because these are even things that I didn't know about. Really? Oh, sightings. wow. That's unusual. So that's why we, we want to kind of explore in this new multi-part series because this is going to be a, at least a two-part series. Right okay. now we're just planning two parts, calling it the Northern quotes northern lights which by the way the real northern lights yes the aurora borealis yes the aurora it's commonly known as the polar lights ah it's natural light display in the earth sky predominantly seen in high altitude regions auroras display dynamic patterns of brilliant light that appear as curtains rays spirals or dynamic flickers Covering the entire sky. Have you ever seen it in person? Not in person. Neither have I. I've always wanted I to. I would love to. One day. And I'm from Michigan. Right. So I was pretty northern. Actually. I should have been able to see them. Maybe I did and I didn't know it. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe you were taken up there. You have missing time. Ah. One of our stories, in fact, our final story, which we'll get to later in the show, takes place in Michigan. Hello. Your, your birth state there. You Mich- Michiganer? Is that what? Michigander. There you go. So we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later here. But yes. Part one, this is, again, things that, forgotten sightings, things that, you know, you really don't hear about too often taking place in the northern part of this country. Next time we'll get into more stuff in Canada. But our first story takes us back to the 1970s in Minnesota, actually, where a sheriff's deputy had a run-in with a UFO that, to this day, this is actually considered one of the greatest unsolved encounters in the history of the state of Minnesota. And this is how uh, the story begins. Oh, geez. <laughs> it was along a rural highway on August 27, 1979, in the middle of the night. Marshall County Deputy Val Johnson was alone on patrol. As he explained it in the news reports, what was there all of a sudden was here, so the light just shot at him and it you know, like engulfed his car in light and you know, blinded him. Yeah. Wow, that's the name, Northern Lights. There you go. And so just, you know, solid start, I think, there. But let's just review this scene for one second. It's a law enforcement officer. Yeah, here's this guy, Val Johnson, a deputy. He's on this lonely highway out there in Marshall County in uh, Minnesota. He's on patrol, just doing his thing during the night. Okay, He's, he's, he's an overnight deputy. And that's when he notices all alone on this road, something strange is in the road. So, of course, he's going to drive up to it, try to see what's going on. He's, he's, he's a cop. And that's when he sees this small light. It, it takes off, and it comes right out of his patrol vehicle. Whoa. So now, just imagine that. No. The, the confusion, the fear he might be feeling, you know? It's probably really fast, too. Right, exactly. And also, remember the time frame here. This is 1979. Yeah, we don't have smartphones, computers, nothing. Nothing like we that. We got rotary dial. Right, yeah, you're right. And... and 
to that point too, Karen, these reports... And he's got a two-way radio, basically, in his car. That's that's it. And so these reports in 1979, you know, not only the technology was different, but the way that these reports are viewed was much different than they are, you know, today, just in the past couple of years, how that has changed. And he doesn't have a camera on his person. Right. No. Wouldn't that be interesting? Yeah. Now, yeah. No patrol camera, you know, no dashboard camera, right. no vest Body camera, nothing cam, like that. Yeah. So these things are not as openly received as they are now. Sure, it's just his word. Exactly. Especially from, you know, law enforcement or the military in, in, you know, back in 1979. So honestly, he had a lot to lose just by talking about it. So, I mean, it's something like that is hard to keep to yourself. But on the other hand, when you hear this coming up, how could he not talk about it? Because when you hear this, this damage uh, that he yeah. had done to his car, uh, it's kind of hard to, to hide something like this here. <laughs> uh, Val, what happened? Yeah. And then, of course, the windshield is uh, broken something. You can see where it hit. Herb Morstead was a fellow yeah, deputy at the time, at a loss to explain the antennas warped in different directions, <gasps> the broken headlight and the dented hood. Whatever happened, there was evidence. Thank you to the local news station there in Minnesota, wow. by the way, who had the story. Well, crazy, though, right? Yes. I mean, physical marks. So the dented hood, was there scra- were there scratches? It's, was there paint? Do, do yes. aliens use paint? I don't know if they use paint. Maybe chrome. I'm not sure. <laughs> but, we're, we're, but we're talking about physical evidence here on this right. vehicle. He hit something. All right? Something That's, hit him. Yeah, really. That We at least know that for sure because of the evidence of the car where it's all dinged up. The antenna's bent like you heard there. The windshield was But in cracked. different directions. Different directions, right, which is odd. Yeah. So before you go saying, and that's fine if you think this. Again, we always leave it up to you. We just tell you the story. But if you think that it might, maybe he was just drunk on patrol or he hit a deer. Oh, could have, yeah. You know? Yeah. Maybe but there's he, no blood. There's no blood. Normally you have blood if you hit some type of animal like a deer. Just consider this part of the story, okay? Before you uh, go giving that no. as an explanation. Consider this here, that he had missing time. The dashboard clock stopped for 14 minutes, as did Deputy Johnson's watch before wow. starting up again. 14 minutes. Wow. So what does the, it has a like a... A time bubble around it where it, it could like be. stops time? Because here's the strange thing, right? Because this, this is kind of starting to sound more like it as far as, you know, your your typical, I guess I should say, um, encounter story. But normally when we hear missing time... Abduction. It's abduction. Yeah, but he's staying on the ground. So did this have some type of time-canceling orbit around it or so something? This went through some type of vortex. Because ah. that's the that's what I found so interesting about this, and I right. think that's why this is one of the most famous unsolved uh, encounter stories in the state of Minnesota's history, is this missing time aspect. Yes, he hit something, and it's hard to explain what he hit, but what about the missing time? Because you, you could say all you want, well, there was something wrong with his car, so the clock stopped, but his watch matched right. it. Uh-huh. His watch had nothing to do with the impact. And I'll bet it was a Timex. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Takes a licking and keeps on ticking. That's right. So explain that one. And no. I cannot. No. Because again, this normally you always hear about missing time with abductions, but he was not abducted here. This was just some type of encounter where this craft or whatever it was hit his car. So how is that creating missing time? Uh. And I think you you bring up a good hypothesis, Karen, which is that that physical encounter maybe created some type of time bubble, time vortex, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, warp of huh. some sort. And that was reflected not only in the, the clock on his car, but on his 
own personal watch, and that's the part that gets me. I think that death mimics the same thing. Mm. It's just you just have missing time. Yeah, yeah. When you die, I it's think that I think it all boils down to time. Yeah, I mean, we talked about way going way back with Edgar yeah. Casey about how time yeah. really works, and he tried to explain how it's just basically a construct and it's there for oh, us it's as a, a frame. We're so stuck on time, yes. you know, here down to the second. So, but it's... yeah, if you take away time, then what? You know, interesting. Well, Apparently, time was taken away there because we cannot, not, nobody can explain what happened to those 14 minutes. Hmm. It's very odd. But they also say that he had welder like burns around his eyes. <gasps> something that would, you know, a, a welder would experience if they weren't wearing their mask or something over their face. Why does he have burn around, burns around his eyes? Could that have been from a, a possible exposure to some type of extreme heat, of course, right? Radiation. Radiation. From the light ball. Yes, this, this giant ball of light that was coming toward his car. You know, is, is that a radiation burn? We've seen those before in sure. abduction cases. Sure. And so it's just odd because you have two um, factors here. You, ha- you have two marks here that you normally see in abduction cases, the missing time and the burns. And that's at night. Yes. So it, you can't say, oh, well, you know, and he was wasn't sun ab- or something. Right, right, exactly. But he wasn't abducted. But why? These two hallmarks. Yes. He's experiencing them. It's very odd. It's tangible evidence. Right. So whatever the case, his supervisor at the t- uh, at the time there is this guy named Dennis Brecky, Dennis Breck Brecky, I think it's Brecky. He could not explain what happened, and to this day he still can't. When this report was was aired in the local station there in Minnesota, this is actually he he had to say in this uh, recent interview. We uh, do believe that our deputy had an encounter with something that we haven't been able to explain yet on this date, and there's uh, a lot of interest because of that. Yeah, I'd say. Wow. <laughs> so believe it or not, this story really has become a part of folklore in the northern United States because they, they actually have uh, people come from around the country to Marshall County. They have a historical museum there. Really? And they have this car I was going to say, do they have the car? They sure do. Oh, my gosh. Do you have a photo of it? I'll put up okay. the video of this local news oh my report gosh. because we, we use so much of their sound that I think we should give them some credit there. We'll put their video up on our blog there on 850WFTL.com on the UAP blog under the podcast section. And you can the see the dent and the crazy... They sh- oh, they oh. show the whole thing. So you'll see the broken dents. Broken windshield. The broken windshield, the, the, the double bent antenna. Huh. It's pretty wild. So people come and look at this car. It's on display. UFO enthusiasts come from around the country. He was in the car. He was. So... Yeah. He got burned through the windshield. Through the windshield, because the windshield was cracked and pierced, actually. Oh, that's so strange. You'll, you'll see that in the video there oh. on our UAP blog. So, But the last thing I found noteworthy here was Deputy Johnson's description of this UFO. It's not something you would normally hear before. What he saw was a bright object, maybe like a foot diameter, about three and a half feet off the ground. Small. Huh. Why is that? Maybe foot it was, diameter? Maybe it was a probe. Maybe. I mean, I'm thinking maybe it went through his vehicle through the windshield and abducted him for 14 minutes and brought him back and he wasn't aware that he was actually taken out of the car. It's possible. I mean, maybe, you know, a lot of abduction victims have some type of regression therapy done yeah. to find that missing time. As of this story, as of the details that we found, he never went through any type of therapy. But something happened in that 14 minutes. So, something, yeah. Right? It's because that's a long time. It you is think a about long it. time, that's, yeah. Yeah. And again, you could say all you want that, well, his car got messed up, so the clock stopped, but how and, do you explain the, his watch? Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and it's not instantaneous, right? He, you know? It, well, he didn't, he never complained about it. Did it feel about, like it was instantaneous? To him, it did. Oh. 
which is an also. Well, if you have missing time, that's what happens. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of strange components with the story: the size of the UFO, right? The abduction components that mix in here when we don't hear about abduction. It's a very strange story, which is why it lives on to this day in Minnesota's history. But I like the fact that there's actual evidence. Yes. I love Physical that. Physical evidence on his body and on his car. Yeah. So, again, we'll have that video up there on the UAP blog from on 850WFTL.com. Just search on the podcast section. You'll see UAP, and we'll have it up there on the blog for you so you can check out the images we're talking about. Crazy, right? It is. But on to our next story. Who knew? Who knew? Exactly. That's why Forgotten Sightings. Hence I the name love of the episode. it. So our next story takes us over to, uh, well, some people refer to as, I take this as an insult because there's beautiful parts of the United States that people refer to as flyover country. Ugh. And I, I think that's an insult. It is. But this is where this particular story happened. It was in that part of the country. A very strange occurrence took place over 100 years ago, actually, in South Dakota. Oh. South Dakota is a beautiful state. Is that where Fargo is? Uh, that's North, North Dakota? Dakota. That's yes. Don't get me. Don't don't make me a fool here, Karen, on podcast. Because if I get that wrong, oh yeah, they're gonna come at All me. All of our South Dakota listeners. Oh my goodness. But I mean, South Dakota is beautautiful. Mount Rushmore is there. Just amazing. I think scenery. Bismarck is there. Bismarck, South Dakota. That is sounds their right. capital. Yeah. yeah. That sounds right. Or is it Pierre? Oh, it might be Pierre. Yes. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you see that? This You're homeschooling. Do, yeah, that's right. This is why we don't do a geography podcast. <laughs> But personally, I love stories like this because you really have limited options when you try to narrow down what people could have been seeing, you know, explanations in the sky back in the 1800s. Yes. Right? And it wasn't a plane. It wasn't a drone. It wasn't a weather balloon. So what could explain this particular sighting away? This mystery revolves around a woman named Annie Talent. She was a member of the Gordon Party that illegally entered the Black Hills, speaking of Mount Rushmore, uh, back in 1874. Okay, she wrote this in her own journal, diary, whatever you want to call it. She wrote at about noon on a clear, cold day, an awful rushing, roaring sound was heard above and to the north of us. It was almost directly over our camp. Everyone immediately looked in that direction and saw an object rushing through the air from east to west, not more than one half mile above the treetops and seemingly not more than three quarters of a mile distant from us. So before I continue in her entry there, again, in the air, rushing sounds, Mm -hmm. 1874. Yeah. Okay. I'm still stuck on the fact that she entered the Black Hills illegally, the Gordon party. Yeah. So I don't understand. Uh, It was basically, it was... Off limits? Off limits, yeah. It was kind of like federal grounds, Uh, that, that type thing. Uh, you know, with, with the Native not Americans. The Gordon Party, not to be confused with the Donner Party. No, no, very different. No, 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 no. Not, not the Don, Donner, nothing to do with Dahmer, nothing like that. Nobody ate no, each other. No, 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 no. This is the Gordon Party. So this, she continues here. It seemed, and this, by the way, I'm reading directly from her because it's hard to get sound from 1874. So <laughs> <laughs> I just have to read directly what she wrote. All right. So she continues. It seemed almost white. And looked at least, if it might be 30 or 40 feet in diameter. Huh. Although its size could not be ascertained with any degree of accuracy. As it seemed surrounded with steam or smoke. Hmm. It did not appear to be falling, but continued in a horizontal course. So just imagine, I guess, you know, riding the horizon, right? From left to right, east to west. This is what she described here. Is that right? That's what she said, east to west. So she continues... 
three or four seconds after having passed out of our sight to the west, a report was heard that fairly shook the hills. Okay, while its track of clouds of smoke were left that could not be se- that could be seen for twenty minutes after. So when she says the word report, is this an yeah, a news a report? Sound. A sound. A sound. Yeah. Right. It's an explosion. Right. Okay. That's how the word report was used in 1874. Okay. So basically, they heard a boom. Yeah. That that shook the hills is what she's saying. And this track of clouds of smoke were left in the sky that could be seen for 20 minutes after it disappeared over past the horizon. So in the past, we've talked about ships, alien ships that don't have contrails. Yes. And don't make any noise. Apparently this one this had both. This one, yeah, was an older model. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> an older model UFO. Yeah. A Plymouth. <laughs> you know, the Buick of UFOs. I don't know. <laughs> Buick. So it's, I don't know. That one is, it's a strange one. And yeah. She actually continued here. She, but she finished uh, we, it we off. didn't have flight availability Not back then. 1974. So, okay. Yeah. And we talked about a few episodes earlier. We yeah. talked about pre flight sightings, things right. like that. This, I mean, file this one under pre flight sightings. This had, again, some type of physical evidence a sound, uh, smoke they're seeing in the sky. Why? I don't know, because those are two things that are not typical of UFO sightings. That's right. But that's what she's describing. But everything here. else sounds like it. Yes. You know, moving quickly, right. in a horizontal, you know, along the skyline. Yeah. And what, did the, what the heck are they seeing in the sky in 1874? And if it did crash, then did they find it? I mean, it could have been an asteroid or a meteor uh, of some sort. yeah. There right, you, if you're talking there about you smoke. There you go, like a whistling, smoking thing. Right? It could have been that, um, yeah. right? I mean, if you're talking about a, a, the boom, that also kind of fits the... Uh, the description of a meteor or an asteroid because you might get a sonic boom. Or because something I do like know that. the aliens are pretty good drivers and they rarely no, crash. Except for the Roswell ones. That's right. But <laughs> other than that. So maybe that's an explanation. I don't know. But she continues here. It was the grandest sight I had I had ever witnessed. There was one thing that was very evident. Immediately after this sighting, the weather began to grow grow colder. <gasps> oh my gosh. Weird. And she says it continued to increase in intensity each day for about three weeks. It got colder and colder and colder for three weeks. How do you explain that? Well, one? if it is a meteor like what happened with the dinosaurs and the smoke from the explosion obscures the sun and makes everything get colder. I, I, I don't know the history of the state of South Dakota, <laughs> but I don't remember hearing about some type of cataclysmic meteor yeah, yeah. You know, uh, impact in 1874. You know what I mean? Right. Normally you hear about these things. You, there would be some type of crater that people go visit still to this day. I don't, I've never heard of something like that that exists in South Dakota. So I guess take this one for what it's worth. It's strange. It is. Changed the weather to colder. It was. It had some sort of a sound and it crashed and yeah. So uh, yeah. you, you can try to explain that one. Plus I like the fact she had a journal. She did. Yeah, and they recovered it. So that's a famous sighting back in 1874 in South Dakota. It's strange, though, isn't it? It it's is. Hard to, you, again, you could say you know something with a meteor or an asteroid, but well, she thought it was important it get, enough to put in her in her journal. Yeah, you know, and I'm sure back in 18 the late 1800s, they were aware of. I mean, gosh, the cosmos was studied for sure. thousands of years before then. Yeah, this isn't the Stone so it's, Age. If I it mean, was right, it was, so, <laughs> it's 1874. Yeah, the Industrial Age. So they must have known what a meteor or a comet would look like. Right. You know, it would have the. You so, would think so. Smoking. I don't know. Strange. Yeah, make it that way you will. 
But our final story here, Karen. Oh, boy. Takes us to, like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, your home state there of Michigan. Michigan. And I must say, there were a few different stories we could have gone with as I was kind of doing the research and sifting through some of these forgotten sightings. Yeah, those Michigan people are nuts. Well, I had to go with Michigan. So, But I wanted to go with this to end the show today because... None of the other stories that I came across, quite frankly, topped this one that you're about to hear. Oh, goody. It's a doozy. It is kind of a doozy. Yeah. <laughs> and it takes place in Holland, Michigan. Sure. And it, the year is 1994. It involves multiple witnesses, okay, and a meteorologist. Oh, that's helpful. Yes. It, who, until recently, actually, had never spoken about what he saw this one night. Mm-hmm. So can you give us a little... I guess, description or reference, Karen, as far as Holland, Michigan. Are you you familiar with that part of Michigan? Yeah, so you've got Frankenmuth, Holland. My great-grandmother was part of a Germanic sect and only spoke German. A lot of Germans ended up in Michigan. Mm. And so, and then Holland, you know, they have the Tulip Festival there. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, it's, it's like, when Europe came over, they went to Michigan. Interesting. Yeah. So basically, they just named this a city after yeah. what they already knew, right? Which is what it, I mean. The British did as well. I mean, as they came over to absolutely. And we have Rochester. America. That's where I went to school. Rochester is very British, right? right? And uh, yeah. As far as geography goes, is that the more central okay. Michigan in the center part of the state? So that's where we are here in Michigan, central Michigan, in that area. In that. Area. So, but this- it it does say it on the lake shore. So I may, it may be a little bit more closer or maybe they just named it that because, you know. Well, there's a lot of lakes in Michigan. It doesn't have to be one of the great lakes. Exactly. But this is, uh, well, you mentioned Lakeshore there, Karen. They call this the Lakeshore UFO incident. And this is how our story begins. The date, 3894. The time, 2130 hours. The light here in the sky. All right, so you heard there through the creepy music, the 911 call. Um, and you hear, you know, the, the date there, March of 1994, 2130, which is, of course, 930 at night. And the voice you hear, you're going to hear that more, is our meteorologist, and we'll get to him in a minute. But he's saying there's something in the sky, never seen something like this before. So we'll try to clear up for you some. The 911 calls are hard to understand. We, we get that. So we're going to try to clear those up for you as we go on because some of this audio involves those. Um, but yeah, March 8th, 1994 is, is where we're at. And community, it, it's a community of Lakeshore. They started to see something in the sky because like we said, multiple witnesses here, okay? People are calling 911 and they just could not explain what they were seeing. And I will tell you, it's like, okay, there's Grand Rapids and then Holland is on a, a lake that comes in off of Lake Michigan. It is near Lake Michigan. Okay, And so the whole is. area is called Lakeshore. Okay. Yeah. All right, very cool. So now we know kind of where we are. Right, and... so it's, it's central Michigan, but uh, more on Lake Michigan. Got it, okay. Now, people were obviously scared and confused. You know, you're seeing something in the sky, just like our previous entry here of uh, Annie Talent in 1874 writing in her journal. There's no 911 to call in 1874, but in 1994 there is, and that's what people were doing. They're scared and confused, trying to find answers. Sure. What are we seeing in the sky? What in the heck is this? So again, like our first story, remember the time frame here. 1979 and 1994 are pretty similar in the fact that it's not like you can just, you know, pull out your brick-shaped cell phone and call somebody or start taking a video and post it on social media. Run to a payphone. Yeah, right. I mean, that's all you could do, really. Exactly. But And, and also, too... These were not very well received in the mid nineties. No, You're still looked at as a, as kind of a crackpot, right? <laughs> so, which is quite frankly why we were hesitant to even start this podcast I last know. year. I wait a minute. I'm glad the narrative has changed a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. 
But there's, like you said, a lot of 911 calls. But the main one here we're going to focus on is is one that came in just after 9.30. And it starts off like this. So 9.30 p.m. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, I don't know if you guys do anything on UFOs at all. Okay, so at least four lights. We don't know if you got anything on UFOs tonight. He must have been on a really bad payphone. I, I guess. But he's like, I don't know if you guys deal with UFOs, but we just saw four lights. Yeah, they're seeing four lights. They're trying to explain what's happening. And this was a big public sighting. I mean, it's worth mentioning it again. It was covered in the local news at the time, actually. They made a big deal out of this. It was in the newspapers. It was on the nightly news. The Holland Bugle. Absolutely. I'm, I'm sure that's a paper there. <laughs> We're going to assume. Many witnesses described actually seeing multicolored lights, Karen. Oh. They were slowly, this was the the, the description, slowly and eerily going around in a circle. Huh. Okay? So that kind of fits the description of your classic flying saucer there. Of course, those who did not, or those who, who did come out, were ridiculed. Obviously, right? Yeah. By those who did not witness the event. Right. Didn't I didn't see, see it, it, therefore you're an idiot. Exactly. Right? Which is why a man that we're going to talk about here, meteorologist from the National Weather Service, his name is Jack B- uh, Bushin, okay? National Weather Service, meteorologist, very reputable. He was hesitant to ever say anything about what he saw, but <gasps> he did have these experiences, and actually his was the voice that you heard on those 911 calls there, so... This is one of the calls that he made. And keep in mind, he's with the Weather Service. He's a meteorolo- uh, meteorologist, so he has scientific background, right? And he, tools to and use. tools to use. <laughs> so he understands the difference between a weather anomaly, mm-hmm. uh, maybe some sort of a comet, whatever. Um, I was thinking I was going to lose my job. <laughs> <laughs> That goes back to the, you know, the fear of being ridiculed. Yes. Okay. And then, so <laughs> no, that wasn't a 911 call. So I, I got those a little confused there, but that was him, you know, being interviewed about this 30 years later and finally, you know, able to feel like he can come out and start talking about it. But this, this is him on the 911 call? 911. Okay. Um, I don't know if you guys do anything on UFOs at all. I got real, they were uh, at least four lights. Huh, so that's him. Yeah, okay. that was him that was talking about the four then lights. Then he was afraid he was going to lose his job. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> yeah, like so many people during that time, I mean, they were terrified to speak out about sightings or encounters. Because, I mean, look, the issue, as we know, was it was very taboo, right? The, the topic itself. It could have literally ruined your life. Yeah. And it did for some of the witnesses. They were ridiculed for decades. Oh, yeah. Airline pilots would lose their jobs. Oh, absolutely. They mentioned anything. Yes. And they saw a lot. Military. I mean, yeah. you're told never to say anything. And in some cases, it really did ruin people's lives. Now, thankfully, things have changed in that regards, right, over the past, you know, few years, especially over the past couple of years. But over, the, you know, 30 years it took for that, from this story to now, where he felt comfortable enough to start talking about it. Wow. It's, it's insane. But this is, you know, now that he's retired, he's decided to come out and talk more about that night that he's never going to forget. And here's some more of what he saw, actually. Then I was really scared, and I lost uh, lost sleep. People think you're a kook, you know. Uh, you're lying. You're not credible. I'm supposed to be a scientist and skeptical. Sure. Yeah. Not suggestible. Yeah, right. That's the way it's supposed to be, which is why I found him to be such a credible witness, Karen, because he is that type of, you know, almost like an Air Force pilot or something like that. These pilots that we've heard about or any airline pilot or, you know, uh, any military member. 
I find them very credible because they're they have a certain, you know, expectation that comes along with their title, and it's which is I think fits the expectations you would see with meteorologists because they're supposed to be like you said scientific. And based, yeah, based on science. Go so by the book exactly. Right? And, but it is fascinating. I, mean, I, I think to hear those recorded conversations he was having with the 911 dispatchers as he was trying to get some clarity himself. He's trying to figure this out. But this next moment is crucial to the evidence of this story because, again, here you have a guy working for the National Weather Service. Yeah. So what is he going to have at his disposal? Ah. Radar. And <laughs> it's interesting in the 911 call, he starts it out with saying, I don't know if you guys do anything with UFOs. Right. So he instantly went from, you know... This is a UFO. Yes. That's where his mind went. That's right. Yeah, exactly. He's because he didn't say phenomena or, yeah. you know, he's trying to figure out what it could be. Right. And he has radar. So. So at this point, he begins to try and zero in on his radar on the area. Ah. where People are saying, you know, they're seeing these UFOs, these, these UAPs. So here's a quick clip of what that sounded like once he finally got them on his screen. He actually was on the phone the moment, the moment that he Zeroed in on this. You can hear his reaction. Oh, my God. What is this? They were going together and coming apart. Oh. So you hear his surprise. Yeah. What is this? They're coming together, then now they're coming apart. And he's seen this in real time on his on his radar. Was he able to record the radar? He wasn't. Oh. So and that he unfortunately he wasn't able to do that and from the radar screen, but he did decide what he did was he drew. Okay. From, from hand, what, what he was seeing on his radar in real time and what he drew pretty much fits exactly what we've come to expect in your classic sighting case. Because according to him, he witnessed three craft, okay? They're bunched together in a triangle yeah. formation, moving fast and seemingly jumping from one location to the next. Huh. How odd is that? That's really odd. So you have the triangle, you have the instantaneous acceleration, okay? And he actually explains more here. They were moving about 20 miles in each jump. They were hovering Whoa. and then jumping, hovering and then jumping. These are huge returns. I've never seen anything like this. Not even when I'm doing storms. These are storms that are like, they're just popping up all over the place. So there's a huge return. Huge return. So you get a return on the radar. Right. It shows you something's there. And they're popping up all over the place. You heard yeah. him say that. And so he ruled out the fact that this is some type of weather anomaly. He could not explain it. As a meteorologist with radar, he could not explain what he was seeing, which is why he was talking to someone in 911 as well. Right. And this was his kind of his final explanation of... Uh, you know what, what what he saw i guess it was a flying tin can you know <laughs> i don't know how else to explain it flying tin can well, it's another one of those ufo buicks yeah exactly the oldsmobile just flying <laughs> up there but that's one thing i love about this story though is that this witness in particular okay here you have a guy who read he reads radar for a living or did you know he's retired as a meteorologist, so he knows what a pop-up storm looks like or some type of strange weather anomaly or even a giant flock of birds, really. Mm -hmm. He knows how to identify... Or a ground clutter. Yeah. You know, he knows how to identify different things or anomalies on radar. It was, it was literally his job, you know? Yes. So to hear him say that this was no storm, it wasn't a flock of birds, it wasn't anything like that, but rather something solid. A tin can. A tin can, if you will. It really gives this story and this sighting in particular real credence for me. I agree. Right? Yes. And again, you make of it what you will, but there's there's a lot going on here. He had multiple witnesses. 
you know, again, just aside from him, it would be enough for me to really give this a second look just hearing him. But you had multiple witnesses on the ground that night calling 911. I love that. And, you know, going back to what we were discussing discussing at the beginning, we had a tornado touchdown near my house as part of when Hurricane Ian. When Ian was making Ian. landfall, yeah. And the technology and the advancements that mm-hmm. weather people have made with their radars, our local people have a Viper radar, mm-hmm. and it would show the signature of a tornado. Oh, it's incredible. And it's the way... I'd love it if he had had that advanced yeah. technology, but we'll have to see if any weather people are finding UFOs now. Yeah, we'll keep an eye out for more of those stories. Maybe we can do a whole series just on that if we hear about yeah. it. But there's no, but you're right. I mean, we're you and I were watching the weather that night, and they're telling you, hey, there's a tornado on the ground, and it's going to be in your location in 15 minutes. Yes. Uh, Yeah, it's moving towards you right now. I mean, they could track it to the inch. And that's how advanced it is now, but unfortunately not in 1994. So maybe there are some more meteorologist stories. We'll keep an eye out for those because it is intriguing to hear them. And it's a shame, though, how someone with that much, you know, credibility in their title, in their line of work, they felt like they had to be silent for almost 30 years about what he saw and the evidence that he experienced because that really is true evidence that we're we're, talking about there. We're ripping the Band-Aid off all this stuff. We're bringing it to light. So I guess it does make you wonder, like you're saying, Karen, you know, who else is out there with stories like these? Yes. People that have been too hesitant to share real experiences because of past fears towards ridicule or even the loss of their job. And maybe now we'll start to see more and more stories like this of, of, you know, somebody who has this type of credibility behind them start to trickle out. I would love to see that. Yeah, me too. Um, I've had several people get in touch with me. Through either what our Twitter page, yeah, at the, UA Podcast eight fifty on Twitter, yeah, and you know, tell me some of their stories as well. It's always intriguing to to find out what you, dear listener, are experiencing as well around the globe. And we love hearing your feedback as well, and you know whether it's good or bad. Thankfully, a lot of it has been good, so we appreciate that. But if you have any ideas or any stories that happened to you, something that kind of triggered a thought or memory in your mind of anything we've ever talked about in any of the 56 episodes including this one it's okay to talk about it yes we're we are here we're a team so you can find us at ua podcast 850 on twitter is where you can uh find us directly we won't point and laugh at you (laughs) (laughs) no but we really no we won't we won't no problem but we really do appreciate everybody who has been reaching out to us on there uh we always try to write back and you know acknowledge when you have something to say also Keep on downloading, subscribe to the podcast. That's been incredible to see how many of you are doing that. So please continue to do so. Hopefully you continue to enjoy the show and do that on iTunes, you know, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts. It's all good. And of course, on 850WFTL.com where the show lives. And leave us five extraterrestrial stars. Yes, please. Next week, what are we doing? We are doing part two of Northern Lights because we're going even further north, Karen. The Great Nanook. Yes, into Canada. There's a lot going on there that people don't realize and doesn't really get talked about a lot. Beauty, eh? Exactly. So we're going to get into that next time on UAP. But until then, it's Karen Curtis there, Stephen Diener here on the Unidentified Alien Podcast. Thank you so much for listening and for joining us. We'll talk to you again next time. See ya.